From Creative Force, I'm Daniel Jester, and this is the e-commerce content creation podcast. About a month ago, at the end of September, we did an episode live at the Salt Lake City Studio Mixer at the invitation of Rick Hayward of OC Tanner. This Studio Mixer sort of photography professional meetup started about four years ago when Rick experienced the value firsthand in getting studio and creative professionals from across the econ companies based in the region in one room to talk about work. So I started visiting other studios around kind of the Utah area. And in one of those visits, somebody said, we ought to get together and have lunch or something. You know, there was kind of a, yeah. and I walked back to the studio and kind of by that afternoon, I was like, wait, I can't go to lunch with 20 people, but I could get people to come to lunch at an event. I think it's worth mentioning that if you like what you hear in this episode, you might look into any photo studio meetups in your area. I know of a handful in various parts of the U.S., like Seattle and New York. If there isn't one in your area, maybe you could be the one that organizes it. Now let's hear more from Rick Hayward, Rosie Tanner. This is the e-commerce content creation podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Jester. Joining me for this episode, Rick Hayward, e-com manager at OC Tanner and founder of the Salt Lake City Studio Mixer. Rick, welcome to the podcast. Good morning. Glad to be here. I'm really glad that you agreed to come on. We did an episode. Um, we recorded an episode of the podcast there at the Salt Lake City Studio Mixer just a couple of weeks ago with Jason Wheeler. But I really would love to know, Rick, how did the Salt Lake City Studio Mixer get started and where do you see it going? I mean, that's a big topic to talk about. Let's right. chip away at it. So, I, you know, one of the things that's interesting is the Studio Mixer, and I'll give a little longer play to this, but the Studio Mixer really came in existence because I would go to conferences and they would either be talking about wedding photography or kind of running your own commercial studio. And I'm like, hey, I'm in this industry that's somewhere in between that. You know, I work for a big company. I'm doing e-com photography. And the message in these two types of conferences was always just a little bit off to what I was experiencing. And so when I ran into Creative Force and your work, I was like, oh, this is a perfect partnership for what we're doing at the Studio Mixer and for Daniel Jester and Creative Force to be a part of it. So I loved your voice and your and your mindset and where you're focused on. So just as a little bit of a background, I work for a company that's in its 90th year of existence. So it's a deep, long-term company. And they go into large companies and set up recognition and anniversary programs. So if, you're, if you've been at a company for mm. 5, 10, 15 years and they're going to give you a gift, O.C. Tanner administers that gift and helps you mm. receive that. My leader could start to see that we were kind of struggling under this concept of, you know, how do we take the studio imagery up a level? And he goes around and picks the brands that we carry. And he had gone to Fossil, the Fossil Watch Group in Dallas, Texas. Yeah. And he had seen their studio while he was just there, you know, going through their a tour with their place and kind of setting them up as a partner with us. And he... He worked it out so that the next time he went to Fossil, I came with him. Two things, they are not shooting overhead lighting. 
Yeah. So they, they've got this set up and I see it. And, you know, when you're by yourself in a studio trying to make decisions, you're only as good as your ability to think something new up. Right. Right. But just walking through their studio, it didn't take me but two minutes to see their lighting set up and think, oh, wow, we could really do that. Yeah. And they essentially had they had two light panels with mono lights pointing through the light panels. And so I came home and I went to Home Depot and bought the white pieces of metal that you would make a screen for your window, a window screen. Mm -hmm. I bought those and put Roscoe white gels on them, double stick taped and made my own. And, and it, made your own yeah. Yeah, shoot through modify. Yeah. Well, I don't know, Rick and, and the, the listener obviously can't see this, but right behind me, if you look at my camera feed, I've got my a very similar setup. I've got a right. constant light with a snoot and that's a, a piece of acrylic that I use as my modifier. It's an incredibly versatile setup for shooting anything reflective at all. I mean, it is a go-to for sure. Right. I love this story so much, Rick. Prior to, and I and I don't want to jump ahead to where you're going, because I know where you're going with this, right? Because we're here to talk about the, the studio mixer. But, you know, this was exactly my experience when I interviewed, when I, I had been shooting. You know, I, my first job in photography was with a, a small home goods company. I was this one-man band in that studio. I'd hire a stylist occasionally a few times a year. We'd shoot on location a few times a year. But I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything about Capture One. I hardly knew anything about how to manage samples. It was really, really challenging. And then my next job with Nordstrom was becoming part of a high volume studio, but we were launching the new studio. So it was like, we're the three of us photographers that were hired at the same right. time. We're going to figure this out together. It was 2015. It was around the same time I went and interviewed at Amazon and it was mind blowing. And there's no other way to, at that time. It was rare to get access to a studio. Many companies kept those studios locked down, badge access only, no visitors, that kind of thing. And, I, the only reason I got to go see Amazon is because I was interviewing. Right. And it was a revelation to me the way that they were working in there. And I had not, I had no sense of this whatsoever. And so getting those, you know, those opportunities to see how other people worked and to try to find industry standard best practices, it was just non-existent. They didn't exist until a few years later when people started to leave companies and switch places and right. started to homogenize. And then we get to the point where we realize there's some value in sharing a little bit. And so that's a really good segue into what happened, because there's even one more step that happens at, at Fossil. They have multiple photographers, they have Digitex, they have retouchers. So it's a department and I'm, I'm all of this department, right? At my right. work, I'm every one of these. I was walking through their retouching department and they had a printout taped to the wall and it was an exploded view of a watch and it showed a basically a style guide of how they were going to retouch this watch. Hmm. The band, the dial, the bezel, it was all exploded out. And I walked up to that. This was my transformative moment because the lighting was great. I was like, okay, you know, I could have possibly got myself there at some point. But this, this was the big one where I'm like, this is the skill I don't have. Hmm. And this is what everybody's asking for. And so, you know, my first thought back to what you were saying, I was like, okay, can I just steal this off the wall? Can I, yeah, can, <laughs> can I get this out of here without them knowing? And, and I'm like, okay, I can't do that, right? That's going to that's gonna come back and bite me. So I just decided I'm going to ask. And I just yeah. said, what is this? I'm really interested in this. And I think like all of us, we're so excited to talk about our careers and what we do 
they just started telling me. And they had found a company in Missouri, a retouching partner in Missouri, that had set up their own retouchers in the Asia market. And so this was this was my revelation moment where I was like, oh my word, I add this new lighting style and I put this retouching partner in and my work is gonna go up untold amounts of increase in everybody's eyes. And it did. Yeah. It, it We went from just a kind of a chop shop that was, you know, setting an item in, shoot up next one, next one, to where it was like, oh my word, we're creating something beautiful. And this is, mm. this. we look different and we stand out. And you know, what's interesting for me personally and professionally, I didn't like having people question or think I wasn't as good as a photographer as I was. Because yeah. that was the narrative, right? And that's yeah. what I was hearing. And that's why I started to seek this other input because I was How like, can I do the work that I know I'm capable of while meeting the needs of the company? Because yes. this is a thing that many of us in photographers in this role have like, I, I, I've, I had these moments for sure. I know that I'm better than this, but I also know that I have six minutes to shoot this thing and exactly. I'm doing the best that I can. <laughs> so if I could learn, if anybody can show me any tricks out there to do this better and, and, and achieve work that I'm proud of, then let's get there. Yeah. So, so what happened from this moment and that we're, we're getting really close to the studio. We're, getting, we're edging right up to it. <laughs> so this was back to the revelatory moment. I'm like, okay, I walked into Fossil I came away with a ton of information. How can I do this locally so I don't have to get on an airplane? I don't have to take days off. And so I just started kind of poking around both LinkedIn. We have a great camera store in Salt Lake called Pictureline. I kind of reached out to them and said, hey, who else is doing what I'm doing? Yeah, who are you selling to? Yeah. They often know. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. And so I got a few names and I, I literally just picked up the phone. I called mm. and I would call into these companies. I didn't know how to get to their studio, but I right. would just call in and say, I either had a name from you know LinkedIn or Pictureline, or I could see that they had a studio in some form and I would just call in. And the nice thing is because OC Tanner's been in the Salt Lake, Utah market for 90 years, it had some cachet. So when I would call in, people realized I wasn't a salesperson. I could say, here's yeah. who I am. And I would get through. I would get to yeah, the yeah. photo studio and the phone would ring, right? And right. so I started visiting other studios around kind of the Utah area. And in one of those visits, somebody said, we ought to get together and have lunch or something. You know, there was kind of a, yeah. and I walked back to the studio and kind of by that afternoon, I was like, wait, I can't go to lunch with 20 people, but I could get people to come to lunch at an event. Right. And that was the genesis of it. At the same time, OC Tanner had built a new wing. They wanted to be able to have company meetings where everybody could be in the same room. Hmm. And they had built a theater with multiple kind of rooms that could be segmented. So we, it could host up to 2,000 people. Wow. And so Jeez. I was able to say, okay, if we have an event, I can host it. I can host it right here at OC Tanner. And so that's, right. that's where it started. And then again, I just started picking up the phone and I would call these other companies that I could see were in the Utah market. And I would just, I would say, hey, do you want to get together? Do you want to come to this? We had no structure. We had no idea what we were going to do. It was just, mm -hmm. and once I started to get, I got about, I think I had about 10 companies that said yes. And for whatever reason, it just wasn't hard to find 
a bunch. By about year three, we were up to 40 companies and 120 participants at this That's, event. Yeah, I mean, it, it's amazing. And I will tell you that the event that we were invited to just a couple of weeks ago, my understanding was that there was a lot of conflicts at the time for a lot of people. And so not the turnout wasn't w- what it normally could have been. But even so went around the room and everybody introduced and it was like a healthy chunk of students, which I think is a super cool use of that time, but also a a lot of different types of companies and a lot of different roles, dam managers, photographers, retouching managers, and all of that kind of thing. Right. It's such an, like, it's it's an interesting story to me, but it also is just like a, a thing that makes like total sense, except for the fact that many of us around that time in the early 2010s were sort of, had this idea that what we did in the studios was a secret and that yeah. it in some way meant or represented some kind of strategic <laughs> value. And the thing is, is like, to be totally fair, studios have access to product that is not on the market yet. And that needs to be protected. That's something that that's a normal retail thing. Sure. You don't release information about your collection until it's time to be released. And that's a, absolutely a real thing. But like this idea that we can't just get together and just talk about, like I'm having a really hard time shooting images that I'm proud of in the time that I have. Right. How do you handle this? How do you handle that? I mean, your description of the watch blow up image is like, you know, this was something that we had learned also when we were shooting when I was shooting watches a lot, which is that, yeah, we need in order for us to be able to do this to the degree that our customers need it. We need a retouching partner who can take a heavy burden of breaking that watch down bit by bit so that we can retouch it the way it needs to be retouched. I'm I, and I think you'll agree with me, Rick watches is one of the most complex. And in a lot of ways it's challenging, but it's also super rewarding because a watch has so many, I think more so than most other products that exist that you need to shoot regularly has so many competing interests for the way that the light's going to interact. The light interacts off of the face of a watch in a different way than it hits the bezel. And then you got all of that. You're trying to avoid too much glare on the crystal. You're usually dealing with some depth issues when it comes to the bracelet itself, which is also shiny and reflective a lot of the time. I mean, this is a, it was not uncommon for me shooting watches for it to be a 15 or 20 image composite because that was the only way to make every part of that watch look good without affecting the other parts. And to do that, to come up with that all on your own, like we all have to learn from each other. There's only a handful of truly genius photographers out there and the rest of us are learning from them. Right. And this notion that I had to be good at a watch photographer and a tent in the same day. That also was, that pulled me intellectually and that that actually probably hurt our production. If it was just watches, maybe I would have found some better techniques if I was just doing watch all day long. Yeah. But because I was moving from one to the other, it got easier to kind of stick with the flat lighting, right? Like it was like, well, yeah, time's more important here. And the other thing I'll say is we do consume some images from our suppliers. So I was happy that Fossil was making really beautiful images and I didn't have to photograph theirs. (laughs) And that's true, by the way, for the listener, Fossil's photography is and has for a very long time been pretty top tier. You can go get some really nice watch photography and they have a big Fossil group has a ton of brands, a lot of product. That is a high volume studio that's putting out really high quality work on a regular basis. I'd love to hear, Rick, a little bit about that first event and, uh, you know, just just like, I mean, or maybe not that first event, but I 
I'd like to hear a little bit about the types of things that you're doing at these events. I know right. you invited us, by us, I mean Creative Force, to come and talk about Creative Force at the event. There was a couple of other things around video production, some breakout groups that you did. We heard a really nice message. I thought a really inspiring message from the owner and founder of Picture Line, Jens. I'm blanking Jens on his Nelson. last name. Jens Nelson, yeah. Nelson. It was obviously a group that really enjoys that time. What other kind of things do you talk about and what other kinds of problems have you been able to solve for people over the four years of this event? Right. So if I'm honest, I would say I actually created this event for myself. I mean, even though we let others come, um, I could see that I was plateauing in my career. When we came together, some of the ideas were around that is like, what's just your best practice? How do you function within a corporation? And so that kind of relieved some of the fear that we were stealing information that was competitive, right? Right. Like, you know, what? how you're talking to your finance company is how I'm going to need to talk to my finance company. It's right. no different. And it's yeah. not, we're not going to get ahead of each other through that. And that really helped people to, to start to say, oh, yeah, we're not going to be stealing from each other and we can talk. And, and even the lighting stuff, you know, you spend enough time, you can start to sometimes, if you've been at the career long enough, you can just break some things down and kind of like figure it out. So it's not like there's some trade secret that that you're really holding that, you know, you're going to be able to keep. One of the big feedbacks we got is everybody loved the, the classes, but in the end, they really just enjoyed getting together and talking the industry. And just talking. Right. Yeah, and just... realizing it's nice to know we exist, right? And we're we're not alone. Rick, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having this idea of this mixer and realizing that there was a problem that you could solve by just getting people in the room and talking. And thank you for your time and coming on the podcast and talking about it. I think it's a really interesting conversation and I'm glad that you guys are doing it. I hope we get invited back to the next one. It was a really nice time. I might book a little bit more time in Salt Lake City to spend a little bit more time there and visiting some of the, I mean, it's astonishing that you can drive for 30 minutes and just be like in some of the most beautiful parts of the United States. And then you're back downtown within another 30 minute drive with some really nice restaurants and and uh, really incredible pub- public transit, man. That track system is really nice. You got a really nice public transit system there. Fabulous. Thank you for having me. This was fun. I enjoyed it. That's it for this episode of the e-commerce content creation podcast. Many thanks to our guest, Rick Hayward, and thanks to you for listening. The show is produced by Creative Force, edited by Calvin Lands. Special thanks to Sean O'Meara. I'm your host, Daniel Jester. Until next time, my friends. Hey, Ian.